Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. You know, people say a lot of things on the campaign trail, and governing is harder. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And this... I am now recording. ...is senior foreign affairs correspondent Nahal Tusi. Biden has to go engage with Arab leaders, specifically the Saudi crown prince, who have become symbols of autocracy and repression. And he has to go and basically ask them for help. Joe Biden denounced Saudi Arabia on the campaign trail. But now he's scheduled to visit in July for, well, a lot of complicated reasons. It's something that he's probably not going to enjoy doing that much, but which he and his team have apparently determined is essential. On the show today, breaking down the factors about how we got here. There's this little thing, this war in Ukraine uh, that the Russians launched. (laughs) Yeah. And that is causing oil prices to spike and there to be food insecurity and It's just a situation where the Biden administration feels like, okay, we just need to deal with Saudi Arabia and the crown prince now. The crown prince is the de facto leader of that country, uh, despite our frustrations over some of the murderous inclinations he has allegedly had in the past. One thing I also want to point out is the war in Yemen, which, you know, I, as well as other journalists, are guilty of not paying enough attention to. This is a miserable, terrible war. And a lot of people have died. It's been going on for seven years, even though some people thought, oh, we'll get this over in a few weeks. You know, apparently among them was the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Ending that war is also another priority. And right now there is a ceasefire there, uh, a truce that's holding for a while. And so there's some calm brought there. There are a lot of interests at the end of the day. And one of them actually is China. Mm. If these countries feel like the United States is going to ignore them or not be as good a friend as they want, uh, the Saudis and the Emiratis and others, they'll increasingly turn to China. Could you get into the factors that led us to this point? Saudi Arabia, it's in a very critical part of the world. It has a lot of the world's oil. Some of this is stuff that goes back decades, right? I mean, like we're talking about an Arab monarchy in a deeply conservative Islamic state. And for decades, the U.S. has kind of traded off its human rights aspirations to engage this regime that has not always been great to its people. And it's because we just have strategic interests there, Mm -hmm. oil being one of them, but also broader security. We have so many U.S. troops in the region, the threat posed by Iran. At the end of the day, the Saudis are our partners and so, you know, you, you factor all that in and then you add the Ukraine crisis and the food security crisis and oil crisis that's come from that. And then you also have to think about the fact that the crown prince is what, it's still like in his 30s. He'll be there for a long time. That's the thing, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons people in the administration are like, look, we just have to deal with this guy. We, we don't control how long he's going to stay in power, despite the conspiracy theories that might be out there on some of that. And, you know, I remember I ran into this Republican senator at the airport a few years back. He's no longer a Republican senator, but I was like asking him about this. And 
his his thing was, yeah, he's going to be there a long time, the crown prince. But we need to know now if he's going to be like a psychopath who's going to turn into like another Saddam Hussein or not. Mm. And so the 50-year thing is a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, we say, well, we have to deal with him because he's going to be around. On the other hand, it's like, oh, my God, what are we facing with this guy over the next 50 years? Is mm-hmm. he going to be a brutal ruler or not? And I think one reason people say, look, let's engage him now is because there's this hope that, you know, maybe we can shape him. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. the United States can can show him a better path. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know if this uh, seminars for would-be dictators is <laughs> going to succeed. We don't have a great history on that. What do we know about Biden's goals for this trip in July? He's going to go and there's a sort of leaders summit there. It's not just the Saudis. It's the Gulf Coast countries, as well as a handful of other countries, including, I should add, Egypt. So basically, for the most part, he's going to be dealing with a bunch of dictators in the Middle East. He's going to get them all kind of out of the way really fast in one fell swoop, (laughs) uh, get a lot of heat for it. And he's going to go, they're going to talk about a number of initiatives from security to oil, of course, to climate. Uh, They're not being too specific at the moment about exactly what initiatives they're going to unveil. I actually think one of the things that fascinates me is everybody focuses on the Saudi crown prince and his leadership and his, you know, brutality. Mm-hmm. But actually, while politically he cracks down, he wants all the levers of power, he goes after dissidents, you know, he apparently murders journalists or has them murdered, allegedly. You know, he has actually overseen a lot of reforms in his country especially social ones that have opened up space for women uh, and others to be more free and to be more liberated. People are kind of are surprised to hear that, but actually women in Saudi Arabia can drive now because mm-hmm. of the crown prince. So it's worth remembering he also wants to do economic reforms. So these things also, you have to consider them, even if you hate the guy, you have to consider them, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you are a president in a White House trying to think about your country's geopolitical strategy going forward. But the other part of what I want to say is Biden's going and he's going to be meeting with the head of Egypt too, presumably during this this gathering in Saudi. And the Egyptian leader, um, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, is arguably even more brutal than the crown mm-hmm. prince. I mean, this guy has thousands of political prisoners. It is it is so, so bad on the human rights front in Egypt right now that the United States has actually taken steps under Biden to cut back our military aid to Egypt. That is because it's just gotten so bad. So it's mm-hmm. I find it fascinating that people are like focused on the Saudi crown prince and not thinking about what it means that Biden could actually end up meeting with the Egyptian leader as well. Interesting. Why do you think that Saudi's gotten so much more attention then? Because of Jamal Khashoggi, because of oil, because... All of those things. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia, especially its treatment of women over the years, has mm-hmm. always kind of had a special place in the U.S. human rights imagination. Egypt is a more complicated, and I think, honestly, I think a lot of Americans don't realize that the Arab Spring in Egypt, while that led to a brief moment of democracy that was quite messy, how completely reversed that has been. And now... Egypt is actually a more repressive place to live than it was even before the Arab Spring. And I think that kind of evolution hasn't quite seeped into the American mind quite as much. And it hasn't gotten as much coverage as 
mm. uh, the situation with Khashoggi and other issues in Saudi Arabia. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Another reason Biden wants to go and see the Saudis is because of Israel. Israel is trying to establish a better relationship with the Saudi Arabian state and Biden supports Israel and this is important to them. And this is uh, something that, you know, the United States also sees uh, a a good Israeli-Saudi relationship as being very helpful to the Middle East, uh, especially when it comes to deterring Iran. There's been reporting about how resistant Biden himself is to do this 180 and this trip because of the inconsistent message that it sends on human rights violations. What are some of the conflicts that you've been hearing about? Honestly, I don't really get it. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm being really frank. Like, yeah, I know there's been these reports, including by ourselves and others about Biden saying, oh, we have to stand for something and his, you know, distaste on the human rights front. And I'm sure that part of him feels concerned about this. But Biden also has a history of being very realpolitik on a lot of this stuff. I mean, when mm. the Arab Spring was happening, Biden did not want to support the people on the streets in Egypt. He wanted to stand by the dictator Hosni Mubarak of Egypt. When Libya you know, was on the brink in the Arab Spring, Biden hesitated about getting involved and helping the people protect themselves against the forces of then dictator Muammar Gaddafi. So it's a little, like, I actually am a little surprised. Like, I, I, I think maybe, you know, maybe he thinks, well, I promised during the campaign that I was going to make the Saudis a pariah. And he also tweeted, like, you know, no more blank checks for Trump's favorite dictator. And in that case, he was referring to the Egyptian leader. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't want to seem like he's breaking a campaign promise. But I mean, historically, if you look at his record, it's mixed at best when it comes to human rights. Let's not forget Biden when asked, shouldn't we stay in Afghanistan at least to protect the women there? And he was like, no, it's not my problem. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, maybe it's the politics of it. Maybe he just thinks it looks politically bad. But do I think voters are going to go out there and vote on this or like Democrats going to like pull their support from him because of this? No. So given that history you outlined, what do you think is important for people to keep in mind as they consume news on this? If anything, if the Russian war in Ukraine has shown anything, it's how interdependent we all still are, right? We still need the oil from the Middle East. We are affected by the food insecurity crisis, and that means we need the help of our partners in the Middle East and other places. I mean, it's just one of those things where you realize, wow. Look, one last thing. <laughs> I mean, I keep mentioning Yemen, but like this is really crazy, right? In the Red Sea right now, there is an oil tanker that has sat there because of the Yemen war and has been rotting for like seven years. It has four times the oil as the Exxon Valdez, and it's on the brink, on, there's a threat that this thing could explode and cause an extraordinary oil spill. And the United States is running around trying to raise money to at least offload the oil from this tanker, which is falling apart. Wow. And I'm, I'm sure that's probably going to be one of the things they're going to discuss at this event. But if that happens, imagine the environmental effect. Imagine the effect on the climate, the, the fisheries, everything in that area, and, and the ripple effects that that could have at a time that we're already facing so many problems, right? Mm -hmm. So again, sometimes we just end up finding that we need certain people that we don't want to need. Nahal Tusi, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. 
Also in the news, the House on Tuesday overwhelmingly approved legislation that would extend police protection to the immediate families of Supreme Court justices. The bill already passed the Senate and now heads to President Biden's desk. The legislation moved quickly through the House after an armed man was arrested last week near the Maryland home of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And the World Health Organization is convening its emergency committee next week to determine whether the monkeypox outbreak is a public health emergency of international concern, the world's highest health alert. Monkeypox has spread to at least 39 countries, which have in total reported more than 1,600 confirmed cases and 1,500 suspected cases to the WHO. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.